Well, shalom. Great, you guys are all Jewish. It's going to be really easy this morning. Um, yeah, I'm just going to fill in some things with uh, about Pastor Kolb and Trinity. Um, Denise is you know, Gentile. She went to Trinity, and you know when we got married. I'm Jewish, and uh, you know I wanted to stay true to my faith. And but she said we got this new pastor. You should check him out. I'm like, well, I don't know. And then my father-in-law said, I'll buy you breakfast. I'm like, done. You know? <laughs> he never bought me anything. And one of the first times I went to Trinity, um, there was something different about Pastor Cole because the rabbis never talked about God. In fact, when I went to Hebrew school, I never heard for five years about God. I just went to a temple, a lady's taking a Jew, uh, world religion class, and she wanted me to go to a temple with her. So I went to a conservative synagogue, and the pastor's sermon was three minutes. It was all what's going on in Israel. Nothing about God, nothing about having a personal relationship. And I, when I first heard Pastor Kolb, I'm like, this guy's talking about God like he knows him. And I was, you know... Romans 11, Gentiles provoke us to jealousy, and I was jealous. Uh, how does he know about God? And uh, I remember going to Trinity, and I'm reading from the from New Testament, and it felt like those red letters were jumping out at me. But here's the deal. I'm Jewish. How could I possibly believe in Jesus? But I kept going back to Trinity. And one morning, I got dressed up, and I was all in my suit for the 8 o'clock service, Everybody else in my family had this had the flu. Denise's parents, it's just like everybody was sick. And I said, I'm dressed. I'm going. You should have seen Pastor Kolb the whole time. He couldn't figure out, what's the Jewish guy here for? Where's the family? You know, why is he here? I think that's when the Lord was really starting to draw me, to really get my attention. And But I had some questions. So <laughs> I scheduled an appointment with Pastor Kolb. He will verify. I had about 50 questions written down. And one afternoon, I think it was during some type of playoffs, and he missed all these games, but he gave them up for me. We went through all those questions. And everything I had about you know Jesus, I asked him and he answered. But you know what? You know, I'm still Jewish. How could I possibly believe in uh, Jesus? Um, but then October 8, 1991... A Jewish Christian group came into town, Jews for Jesus, and they sang Jewish gospel music. What's that? It's like Amazing Grace combined with Fiddler on the Roof. That's the only way. Uh, and I have some CDs out there if you want to take a look at it or listen to them. They're really good. And that night, it just it made sense. It just it was one of those moments that everything lined in place. All, everything events that happened in my life. And I didn't realize my sister-in-law, Donna, had been praying for me every day for four months. So if you want somebody to come to know the Lord, get on your knees. because. Um, so I came to faith on October 8, 1991. Uh, I was baptized by Pastor Cole and confirmed at Trinity Lutheran. And um, so anytime I have a bad day, I just kind of like to blame Pastor Cole, you know, because he got me started. But, you know, he has such a love of God, and he really, uh, he just combined contemporary culture and God's Word like I had never seen before. I mean, my favorite series was, you got to get this and do this one. 
What would God say to Rush Limbaugh? What would God say to Madonna? And I was not even a believer, and I was just like, wow, this is amazing stuff. So I just wanted to take this time, Pastor, not only of uh, you and Nancy show me the light of the world, Jesus, but uh, I've been in missions for 15 years because of the seeds that you planted. And I don't know what you thought about Trinity, <laughs> but I'm so glad that you came there. So I want to take this moment to thank Pastor Kolb and Nancy. And we've been friends for uh, you know 22 years after that. But my message is what? There would be not a Christmas without Hanukkah. And you're like, well, what's up with that? How could that possibly be? Well, I'm going to give you a little Jewish history lesson, okay? Because Hanukkah started, um, do you guys know where you can find Hanukkah in the Old Testament? You can't. It happened between Malachi and Matthew. Go impress your friends today. Say, uh, uh, we learned about the intra-testamental period. It's between Malachi and Matthew, those 400 years. Hanukkah happened about 167 to 165 B.C., before Jesus was born. What happens, the Jewish people were under a man named Antiochus IV. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Seleucid. He controlled Israel. And you know what Antiochus Epiphanes means? Visible God. This guy had the chutzpah to call himself God. And he wanted the Jewish people to be more like their culture. He wanted Jewish people to uh, work out in gymnasiums and be sports stars. Which is funny because one of you ever heard of a lot of great Jewish sports legends. I mean, Sandy Koufax, Hank Greenberg, Mark Spitz, that's it. I mean, it's very little. We like to be doctors and lawyers and CPAs. That's what we're trained to be. We're not trained to be, uh, you know, a basketball player or baseball. They wanted them to, Antiochus IV wanted Jewish people to read Plato and Aristotle. Jewish people, they just wanted to read the Bible. God's Word. They wanted the Jewish people to eat wonderful food and great tastes and uh, wine. And the Jewish people said, no, we're kosher. We like our own food. We're going to follow the word of God. So Antiochus IV was really frustrated with the Jewish people. So he goes off to war in Egypt. Rumor has it that he died. Wizard of Oz. Remember the ding-dong, the witch is dead. Well, this was like ding-dong. This king is dead. There was a party all in Jerusalem. They thought this guy died, but he didn't. Came into town. Now he just didn't want to win Jewish people over. He wanted to destroy their faith. He wanted to crush the Jewish people so that they were no longer a people group, they were no longer a religion, but they were now Seleucids. First thing they do is they made the Word of God illegal. You could not study the Scriptures. And I like to think, what would this country do if a leader took away the Bible, the TV shows, the Christian radio? How would we exercise our faith? Also, they said, you can go to temple, but I want you to bow down to this pagan god Zeus before you enter into the temple. Let's see, that violates the first and the second commandment before you even get inside the door. Finally, Antiochus IV wanted to totally put the coup de grace, the finishing touches, on the Jewish faith. There's an area called the Holy of Holies in the temple. It's a 15 by 15 area where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. Now, 
you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, that was in the holy place. That's where God tabernacled. That was the holiest place for Jewish people. High priests only went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. So Antiochus IV has his soldiers take in a bunch of pigs, which is probably the, I'll just try to say, it'd probably be like a dirty rat for us. And they cut open the throats, blood flew out everywhere, the walls, the ceilings, the floors, and they literally desecrated the temple. So how, what did the Jewish people do? There was a man named Mattathias. He was an old guy. He was 80. And he goes to the synagogue, the temple, and the soldier says, you must bow down to Zeus. And, and Mattathias is 80 years old, takes out his sword, kills the soldier, and says, whoever is for God, follow me. And Mattathias had five sons. They all went into the hills. About a thousand people went. They say upwards, maybe four or five thousands went to the mountains and the hills. Okay. They're going to fight. We've got 5,000 Jewish people against 47,000 soldiers. Jewish people aren't trained. The Seleucids are highly trained. The Jewish people, we have rocks, we have shovels. These guys have shields, armor, knives, spears. I don't like to bet, but if I had some money, it would be on the Seleucids. They got the money, they've got the people, they're going to destroy them. There's a great story in Genesis 18. When God visits Sarah and says, next year you will have a son. Now she laughs. Because she's 90. You know, I, I searched on Google. The oldest woman to ever have a baby was 60. And that was by artificial insemination. They don't have that back then. She's 90 and she's going to have a baby. She laughs and God said, Is anything too impossible for the Lord? Think about that. Is anything too impossible? You know, we read that and sometimes we don't apply that to my life. Your life. I mean, is anything too impossible? Can God get you out of debt? Can God save your marriage? Can God bring back your prodigal kids? Can God win your unsaved family members? Yes, he can. And what happened was the Jewish people invented guerrilla warfare. We think that started in the Vietnam War? No. They figured it out. 165 B.C., these 5,000 soldiers knew the land. They set traps. They attacked at night. Nobody ever heard of this. After three years, Antiochus IV says, Ay vey, I can't stand this anymore. Who cares about this little tiny land, this temple? I've got all the Middle East I can go to. So he leaves, and the Jewish people won. They were victorious. And they march in, and they want to dedicate the temple. The word dedicate in Hebrew is Hanukkah. Hanukkah means to dedicate. So they march in and they want to light the Ner Tamid, the eternal flame. It has seven candelabrums. And this is a sign that God is eternity, God is holy. Nobody has lit that in three and a half years. The problem is they only have enough oil for one night. They're going to light that oil and it takes eight days to get oil purified to fill out this eternal flame. You guys ever wonder what this is? That's your eternal flame. That's from 
the holy place in the temple. That's what Judah Maccabee, the candelabrum with seven prongs, lit that, trusted in God, only oil enough for one night. He's praying that it doesn't go out because, can you imagine that? They won the temple three years. They light this. Poof, it goes out. What kind of victory is that? Instead, that little oil lasted for eight days. And that's where we get the eight nights of Hanukkah. I used to love it as a kid. I got eight presents, eight nights of presents, more than my Gentile friends. I loved it. And because it has to do with oil, anything with donuts, potato latkes, which is Jewish hash browns, or anything with oil is considered a mitzvot, a blessing by God. I mean, you've got to love a holiday that you can eat French fries. I mean, that's what it is. And also on Hanukkah, we actually uh, we spin the dreidel. I don't know if you've ever seen a dreidel. And this comes from, the, I guess, Jewish people, when they were in the, um, under the Seleucids, they would knock on the door, the soldiers, and they weren't supposed to read the scriptures. And what happened was, is they would take out, put, put down the scriptures, and they would take this dreidel, and they say, oh, we're playing a game of chance. And they said, fine, and they went to the next house. But nowadays, this dreidel represents uh, four Hebrew letters, Nun, Gimel, Shin, Hei. They're all on here. And that means Neskadal Hayasham. A great miracle happened there. But when you're in Israel, you say it's a great miracle that happened here. But this dreidel is where poker was invented. And I'm going to show you how. Because, you know, in Vegas, the, the, the odds favor the house. You play it long enough, you're going to lose all your money. Well, all the kids get these chocolate coins called gelt. And they're all filled with chocolate. And kids get like 50 of these. And then they all sit around in a circle and they ante up. They put their chocolate in there. Now watch this. When you spin the dreidel, if you get the letter gimel, you get all the pot. That's not bad, huh? Watch this. You get hay, you get half the pot. This is a good game. And you get uh, nun, that means you get none. And shin is you roll again. Let me tell you, all my kids up there have all been such sugar hide on Hanukkah. Because it's, it favors you. I mean, and you, you combine that with oil and sugar, we've had many a late nights, you know, with Alka-Seltzer and everything like this. But, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think the eight nights of Hanukkah was the coolest thing. Because, you know, it was eight nights. And when we light the menorah on the first night, and we did the first night, and then the second night we light, this is called the Shamash candle. Can you say that? Shamash. Shamash is Hebrew for servant. So the servant candle's lit, and we light two of these, and that's, you know, that's eight nights of Hanukkah. Now, I used to think that was the miracle of Hanukkah, but let me tell you the true miracle of Hanukkah. Without Hanukkah, how would there have been a Jewish Messiah? If Antiochus IV destroyed the temple, destroyed the Jewish people, the prophets, all the records of all the writings, had all the Jewish people became Seleucids, and were into gymnasiums and Plato and Aristotle and ate anything that they wanted, how could 200 years later there have been born a Jewish Messiah? Yes, all things are possible with the Lord, but it would have been very, very, very difficult. And 
Hanukkah reminds me that God is with Jewish people in the land of Israel. Israel is the only land after 2,000 years of being dormant. It's to life. It's amazing. This land, smaller than Rhode Island, is surrounded by 22 Arab nations, and they all want to push these Jewish people into the sea. But God has preserved them so miraculously in 1948, in 67, and 73, that they're still around today because God loves the Jewish people. Now, I want to take you to John 10, verse 22. And this is Jesus celebrating the Hanukkah. And if you, in John 10, 22, it says, At the time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So, Feast of, Tab- Feast of Dedication, that's Hanukkah. Jesus is celebrating Hanukkah. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and guess what? He doesn't have to be. It's only on Passover, Shavuot, Feast of Tabernacles, every Jewish guy has to schlep up to Jerusalem and celebrate this holiday. So why is he there? Why is he in Jerusalem? Now, they asked him, they said, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Jesus is saying, like all of us parents say to our kids, I told you you're going to bed at 9 o'clock. But it's my favorite show. You're going to bed at 9 o'clock. Over, he's, they told him. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, have you seen my resume? Check it out. You know what? People have risen from the dead. The blind see, the deaf, the deaf hear, the lame walk. I can control the nature. I mean, those are the miracles that he does. But then he goes down in verse 30, and he says something interesting. It says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I wasn't there, but I can tell you a couple things. Every Jewish person's heart rate went up to about 130. Smoke was coming out of their ears. They were ready to kill this guy because Jesus just violated in Leviticus that he said he was God. I and the Father are one. You don't say that in Judaism. God is so holy Jewish people, I don't know if you've ever seen a Jewish writer, G slash D, they don't put the O in there because God's name is so holy. The Jewish people in the desert, they're a quarter of a mile from the presence of the tabernacle, God's holiness. You're not allowed to get there. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's saying he's God on Hanukkah. And who was the general that pretty much started Hanukkah? Antiochus Epiphanes, who means visible God. But Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's the Messiah. Now, Solomon's Colonnade. Walkway, Jewish people, they go there. They, it's like a walkway. It's like you go there, you pray. It's behind the temple, and you kind of meditate and just kind of walk on this walkway. I need to tell you something that is so incredible. 
when the Jewish people dedicated the temple, what did they do with all those stones that had the blood of the pig on them? I mean, it's, it's, it's desecrated. It's destroyed. You cannot have those stones in there anymore. And the rabbi said this in the Jewish oral law. We don't know what to do with these because they used to be with the holiness of God. Now they're desecrated. We don't know what to do. But let's put them in Solomon's colonnade. And when the Messiah comes, he will tell us what to do. Jesus comes to Solomon's colonnade. What does he say? He's Messiah, and he is God, fulfilling the rabbinical things. So uh, think about that. Without a Hanukkah, without, with the Jewish people being destroyed, how could we have the Jewish Messiah? Couple, one more thing. You see this menorah? We light the servant candle here, and that lights all the rest of the candles for each night. Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us and commands us to light the Hanukkah candles. This is the servant candle. And the servant candle lights each other candles. And the servant is Jesus. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life from the ransom of you. Jesus, he's the light of the world. And he lights each one of these hearts. And Pastor Cole, you are my light. You are my light, Bloomington. And I want to thank you for that. We need to be the light of the world out in this sick world. I was just wondering this morning, the guy that killed all those kids in Connecticut, what happens if somebody was a light to him? What happens if somebody shared Jesus? What happens if he became born again and he experienced the love of God? I don't know. Maybe he might not have done this. I'm a missionary to the Jewish people in the second largest Jewish population in the United States. I don't know what you guys do for a living, but 100 times I'm going to preach the gospel. I am praising the Lord if one out of 100 will listen to me. It's a very difficult job. And I hope that you would just go ahead. I want you to take out this bulletin real quick. And what I want to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you, we're going to tear this on exactly the count of three. And I've been told by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that if any congregation rips this exactly on the count of three, it'll usher in the second coming of the Messiah. So no pressure whatsoever, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six. Wow. I better come back, Pastor Kolbs. <laughs> I would really appreciate if you could fill this out. This is so I can stay connected to you. You're going to be blessed with the Jewish roots of our Christian faith, what's happening in Israel, and how to pray for me as your missionary to the Jewish people. Uh, I have a difficult work um, reaching Jewish people. There's a lot of rejection. But when people like you pray for me, there is a difference. God is working. More Jewish people believe in Jesus now in the past 2,000 years. So I hope that you fill this out. If you feel led by the Lord uh, to give a gift, that would be such a blessing. Uh, all the money that I raise is a faith-based mission. Uh, when you get the newsletter, if you feel led, if you'd like to give something to chosen people, uh, I have to raise all my support. I'm at like 60%. I would be blessed if you consider me your missionary to the Jewish people. Um, I got some books out there. I got some Jewish gospel music and everything. 
But um, come out and talk with me. And this has been uh, one of the, I knew this was going to be a high point, Pastor Kolb, in my ministry, that, uh, that you know, 22 years later, I could come and share at your congregation. It was truly, Nancy, uh, you're wonderful. And um, I want to thank you for all your patience. I'm sorry that you missed those ball games that afternoon, but I'm really glad that you did. So anyways, go ahead. Even if you're not prepared to give, please go ahead, drop this in. I would love to stay in contact with you. Uh, thank you, and uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. Amen.